Okay, so just to begin by saying how happy I am to be back here at Te Moata and with all of you, so many familiar faces, uh, so many people I'm looking forward to getting to know a little over the course of these nine days. And just to appreciate that we have a very well-experienced group of meditators for this retreat. Uh, many of you were here last year. Many of you have done many retreats over many years, some of you many decades. So tonight I'm not going to give a whole lot of instruction. I know we've all been traveling. We're probably fairly tired, so I'm going to try and keep it fairly short. But when I uh, tune into myself right now, I can feel this sense of a mix of anticipation and excitement and curiosity, interest. The kind of feeling that I often get when I'm starting out on a journey. And this idea, this metaphor of being on a journey, it's, uh, we can think of this whole nine days really as being a kind of journey inwards. You know, usually a journey is outwards, but in this case, we're really beginning to turn our attention inwards into our own hearts and minds. And just as within the land, the terrain outside, when we start to walk this journey, we will encounter a lot of different types of terrain different landscapes, different weather systems. So in the beginning, it might feel like we're still a little bit in the suburbs and we're walking on concrete paths and we've got ordinary houses and ordinary gardens. But as our journey progresses, we start to come more into some perhaps unfamiliar terrain. And at times, metaphorically, those of you who've done retreats before, we'll know that at times it might feel like we're sort of hacking our way through the bush and we're ankle deep in mud and it's drizzling and foggy. Other times we might find ourselves climbing up a mountainside. We're on a scree slope and three steps forward, two steps back. Still other times it might we might find ourselves in wide open grassland with a gentle breeze on the skin and the warm sun on our backs. And the point of this metaphor is really that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what terrain we're in, every terrain is an opportunity to develop the resources, the skills to navigate that terrain. And so through this practice, we start to access our inner treasure qualities of heart and mind such as calm, such as clarity, such as compassion. And sadly, these are qualities that in ordinary everyday life are uh, sadly lacking. And more and more it feels like the way mainstream society is going is working against the development of calm, of clarity, of compassion. So we're fortunate that we get to be on retreat and really have this precious opportunity to, in a way, reclaim those qualities. 
And by calm, I mean this attitude of, you could say, non-reactivity, a kind of stability and stillness of mind that allows our poor, agitated nervous systems to begin to deeply rest. Most of us live overstimulated lives, frantically busy, frantically stressed. So part of the value of being on retreat is really giving ourselves a reset, being able to come into this calm and stillness. And when we have that stability of mind, we're able to see more clearly. This is the clarity aspect. We see the world and we see ourselves more clearly instead of through our usual more distorted lenses of habitual reactivity. And then from this clear seeing or insight, compassion develops naturally. We understand the truth of our human condition and we see that we're all in the same boat. We all have our myriad ways of suffering, challenges, We all long to be happy. We start to realize that we're not alone in our challenges. And the more that we can care about our own pain, distress and suffering, the easier it is to care for others too. And it may sound paradoxical, but this willingness to connect with pain, with distress, with suffering is what ultimately leads to this deep happiness ease, and peace. So that's a very brief overview of this journey that we're setting out on tonight. And to keep extending that journey metaphor, many of you who've done Buddhist retreats know that we often start by taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. So again, in terms of this metaphor, we can think of the Buddha as being like the guide on our journey. And when I think about it, it's quite incredible what this man did all those thousands of years ago in India. He really was literally a trailblazer. He found a way to this deep freedom through his own perseverance, his own dedication, his own courage. And so we have the opportunity now to follow his example and to follow the path that he's uh, laid out for us. Unlike us, he didn't have anyone to show him the way. He really had to work it out for himself. As I say, through that diligence, that perseverance, determination. And out of his compassion, he left signposts for us. He left maps for us. He left teachings, the Dhamma that orient us, help us navigate this difficult terrain. So the Dharma, to use the traditional Pali word, is the teachings, the map, the methods, the practices that help us to get us where we want to go. And then the Sangha is this community. It's all of us, all of us who are travelers along the way, our fellow travel companions, And just by our presence, even in the silence, we offer each other powerful moral support. We offer support and inspiration through our presence. 
So I'd like to encourage us not to take that for granted, that how we show up makes a difference. That when we're here with respect for ourselves and respect for each other, it's a powerful uh, support for all of us in this practice. It's a gift, in fact. So the gift of sangha. So we have what are traditionally known as the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And we have this community of traveling companions. And because we are all living together for these nine days in this temporary community, we set an intention at the start of a retreat like this to really do our best to live in ways that are conducive to harmony and to the development of compassion. So one way that we do this is by really making a conscious commitment to non-harming. Earlier I mentioned compassion a few times. Compassion is the wish to alleviate suffering. So with that compassionate intention, we can express it in terms of training precepts. Most of you are familiar with the five training precepts, which are our commitment to ethical conduct. And the Buddha often talked about these as an act of generosity because when we're committed to non-harming, we give each other the gift of freedom from fear. And we ourselves experience fearlessness because we have nothing to fear from others. We don't need to fear being blamed or punished or shamed. And in circles like these, perhaps we might take this for granted, thinking, of course, I'm not going to kill or lie or steal and so on. But I used to uh, do a lot of volunteer work in a prison in the U.S. And in that setting, it was so striking to me. Every Sunday, I would go from the retreat center where I was living to a retreat center where everyone was committed to the precepts to volunteering in this men's prison where many of the people were committed to not only not keeping the precepts but actively looking for ways to break them. And you can probably imagine or perhaps you've experienced for yourself the different climate that that created. One that was revolving around fear and one that for the most part was free of that kind of fear. So here we take this commitment to ethical uh, training as an act of generosity and as a support for this development of compassion. And I like to highlight the precepts because I think more and more these days people come to meditation with some sense that if I meditate it's going to change my life. But they don't always see that it's a two-way relationship and that actually we need to change our lives in order to meditate more fully and more deeply. Because when we sit down on our cushions, what we do on the cushion doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's absolutely affected by what we do with the rest of our lives. So we want to pay attention to what we're doing outside of meditation too. And in the beginning, there are simple guidelines, as I said earlier, to not kill living beings, to not take what's not given, to not use our sexual energy in harmful ways, to not lie, and to not take intoxicants. 
But as the practice develops, and as many of you know, these precepts refine from not simply refraining to actively cultivating their positive aspects. So, for example, not killing becomes having reverence for all forms of life. Not stealing becomes having contentment for what we have. Not misusing our sexual energy becomes about respecting and cherishing our relationships. Not lying becomes a commitment to speaking kind and gentle speech. And not taking intoxicants becomes a a way of paying attention to everything that we ingest and only taking in nourishing substances, whether that's food or uh, even things like media, books and movies and TV programs and so on. So we take these precepts, we'll do it together in a few moments, as a support for our practice. And part of the precept on retreat about speech becomes undertaking what's known as noble silence. And somebody once asked me, well, what makes it noble? And it's that it's done in the service of befriending ourselves. Because when we can minimize some of the ways that our energy tends to get scattered and really give ourselves a gift of turning inwards, we have this opportunity to befriend ourselves. And from that befriending and getting to know ourselves more fully, when we come out of silence, we're in a better position to connect with others in a a more kind and compassionate way. So this noble silence, I'm going to invite us soon to uh, give up our phones as part of that. We can also pay attention to the silence not only in terms of our outer dialogue, but in the silence what often becomes apparent is our inner dialogue. And for me, a few years ago at the start of my practice, it was quite a revelation on one retreat to really start to pay attention to that inner chatter in terms of the precepts. And at that time, I realized that often a lot of what I was saying in my mind is not stuff that I would have ever verbalized to anybody else because it would have been harmful. And yet somehow it was uh, seemingly okay to say that kind of stuff to myself. So we can even think of our inner dialogue as a way where we can refine the precepts and look at whether our inner talk is actually truthful and beneficial and so on. So these five precepts I'm going to invite us to uh, recite together. We'll do it in call and response. And for each one, I'll offer the traditional refraining from version, and I'll also offer the invitation to move towards its positive expression. So let's just take a moment together to recite these. I'll say it first and then you can repeat with me. The first one. I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. The second one. Oh, sorry, the positive expression. 
I undertake the training to practice compassionate action. I undertake the training to practice compassionate action. The second one, I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. And in positive expression, I undertake the training to practice contentment. I undertake the training to practice contentment. The third one, I undertake the training to refrain from sexual activity during the retreat. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual activity during the retreat. And in positive expression, I undertake the training to practice responsibility in all of my relationships. I undertake the training to practice responsibility in all of my relationships. The fourth one, I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. And as positive expression, I undertake the training to practice noble silence during the retreat. I undertake the training to practice noble silence during the retreat. The fifth one, I undertake the training to refrain from the use of intoxicants. I undertake the training to refrain from the use of intoxicants. And as positive expression, I undertake the training to care for my body and my mind. I undertake the training to care for my body and my mind. Okay, thank you. So... I'd like to uh, continue with this metaphor of the journey and just to invite us in a moment to contemplate what drew us to be here on this retreat at this time. To begin to listen to our hearts and to our minds and see if we can find what it is that drew us here, what it is that we would like to receive from this journey of exploration, and also not only what we would like to get from being on retreat, but what we'd like to bring to it. What sort of qualities can we offer to this process? And as a support for that aspiration, I have some colored papers and some pens. And I'm going to invite us just to take some moments of silence to explore for ourselves and see if you can find some key words that might express whatever your aspiration is for this retreat. And then when we've all done that, I'm going to invite you to bring them and put them in this bowl here. And this will stay up here on the altar as a visual reminder of what we're wanting to cultivate here. And at the same time, you can um, bring your phone. There's some little stickies there. You can write your name on it, put your name on your phone, and it can go in the keddy here for safekeeping. Okay, so let's take a moment just to, um, you can come up here and grab yourself a, a pen and a paper and a sticky if you need it. Bring it back to your seat and then we'll have some silence to contemplate together. <laughs> 